Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Monday, November the 7th, 2022. It is currently 8.25 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas, where I, I, I'm hoping if, if we have no internet problems, maybe we're just getting ready to do kind of a mini marathon of live broadcasting. Maybe. I, I don't know. I don't want to commit to that yet. But right now at this very moment, at this very second, I'm like, you know what? Let's do this. Let's go from now till who knows when. Let, let's just let's just start because I feel like I've got to make up for everything that has gone wrong today. It's been a crazy day here in the Theology Central studio. Internet problems, had to get a new modem. Um, oh, just so uh, problems with YouTube and Google. It's just been so. And then going around the house trying to reconnect everything to the new modem because everything in the house is connected to the internet. It's just been, it's been so frustrating because my, my thought was like eight o'clock in the morning, 8.30 in the morning, I was going to be here in the studio talking to you about a news article that was released at 2.49 a.m., about homose- the word homosexual is a mistake and shouldn't be in the Bible. I didn't get to that to around 5 p.m. Central Time, but I've had what we call supper. I've had supper. Uh, I've relaxed a few minutes. And so uh, maybe, 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 maybe. I guess everything hinges on this, what we are about to do, because we are facing the dreaded part three. Oh boy. What do I mean by that? A lot of times when I do a sermon review, uh, it, it goes to, I, I, I call it the dreaded episode three, uh, because sometimes the sermon, if a sermon is about an hour long, it usually takes a good three episodes. Um, I see. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Exactly. Someone just said all the problems earlier and you choose this. Well, I didn't really choose this. I just feel like I have to finish this. So let me explain the the dreaded episode three. When you do a sermon review, Right? Usually an hour-long sermon takes about three episodes to review it all because we review everything. We want, you know, the, the, the whatever sermon, we, I mean, the whole goal is the sermon review is to just listen to another sermon and talk about it and analyze it. I don't listen to them first, so I don't pick a bad one. I just pick them at random, all right? But, it, but the third episode, it's always the one that's so unpleasant. Here's the reason why. By the time we get done with the second episode, we have a pretty good idea what the thesis of the sermon is. And if by the second episode, we realize the thesis is bad, the argumentation is bad, the biblical exegesis is bad, the biblical interpretation is bad, well, then you don't even want to do episode three. You just want to say, all right, this is just no. But I just feel like that's unfair. And the reason I think it's unfair is because, look, if I've criticized the sermon, I still want everyone to hear the sermon. So part three comes along and it's like, well, what do I do now? One, By the time I get to episode three, usually I'm already frustrated with the sermon, bothered by the sermon. So it's like, so what, how do I handle part three? What do I do? Like, okay, guys, we've already established in part two how messed up this is. Let's continue to suffer together. (laughs) That's like, that's like, uh, that's like, that. 
That's really what it's like. Hey guys, I know this sermon has turned really, really bad, but hang in there. We only got about an hour to go. <laughs> hey, don't go anywhere. Don't go. In- Keep listening. Like, like the selling point for episode three is, hey, I know this sermon is a train wreck, but stick around because we want to watch the train burn, right? I know we've already watched the train crash. We already seen the train leave the train tracks. We see it wipe out three or four houses, but now we just want to watch. All we're going to do is just grab our lawn chairs, grab something and just watch it burn. Just watch it burn. Okay. Maybe that's a little bit of hyperbole. Not, Hey, those sermons from Indiana. Yeah. Yeah. We all know what I'm talking about. Okay. You talk about burning. Okay. Yeah. That, that, that was bad. This one hasn't been bad. This one is just frustrating. So let me just try to recap. This is a sermon called put God first in your life. All right. It's taken from the Sermon on the Mount. His thesis is, and I remember, we've already spent two plus hours reviewing, so I'm not going to give you everything. You need to go listen to part one and part two. But basically, here's how to summarize or, or kind of summarize his hypothesis. God promises to provide all of your needs, but it's a conditional promise. God will not meet all your needs unless you put God first in your life. Now, he doesn't really explain how we measure that to know if we're truly putting God first in your life. In a roundabout way, he's almost stated it like this. Put God first in your life. You will not worry. You will not have anxiety about anything. But anytime you worry or have anxiety, that seems to indicate that you haven't put God first. If you don't put God first, God's not going to take care of all your needs. And, oh wait, there's more. If you don't put God first, all the problems in your life, all the things you're experiencing that's going wrong, is because you didn't put God first. That that seems to be the implication. So all of the problems I've had with the internet is because I didn't put God first. All the problems I have with a seizure disorder is because I haven't put God first in my life. I mean, I guess I, I get, no, he probably would say, no, 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 that's not what I'm saying. But that's the logical implication of what he has said, that God will only provide for you if you put God first. And if you don't put God first, then God doesn't provide for you. Now, he doesn't really explain, well, wait a minute, what about people who don't put God first, who all, not only are their needs met, their greeds are met. How do you explain? Well, well, it doesn't count. Well, then, so wait a minute. So if I don't put God first, he won't meet my needs. But if I don't put God first, I may get even more than my need. So how does that, there's no explanation in how this works. I like, I don't know the mathematical formula. God won't take care of your needs unless you put God first. But if you don't put God first, you still may get all of your needs met and you may even get more. But if you don't put God first, he won't meet your needs. But it's, but you still may get your needs met. I I like, I don't, it's, it's maddening at this point. So we're going to jump back into it. Remember, there's no, by the time we get to part three, there is never an easy way to merge back onto the highway, right? We uh, Basically, there's when we get ready to go to part three, there's never a way to merge into traffic. We just have to just drive up onto the highway and just crash the car into all the other cars and say, we're on the highway now. So we're just going to crash right back in. I usually use a swimming pool analogy and say, we just walk to the edge of the pool and jump in. But I thought it would be more dramatic to say, there's no on-ramp. We just come crashing into the highway. Does that, does that, because that's what it feels like. We're just abruptly into the sermon. So if you missed part one and part two, I've kind of summarized it for you. 
Let's see how he takes this basic thesis and and just how he lands the plane, <laughs> parks the car, brings the train into the station. I think the plane has already crashed. The car is not going anywhere and the train has wrecked. But let's see if he can put it back on the track, back in the air, back on the road and, and, and get it to where we need to go. Let, let's see. Let's see. Are you ready? I hope so. Thanks for those listening live. Please feel free to add your thoughts or comments in the chat as someone already has. I always appreciate that because it makes me feel like I'm not sitting in an empty room completely by myself, but people are listening because I don't pull up all the pages that show me the statistics of how many people are listening live. I purposely avoid those. And the reason I do so is because it tells when people come in and it tells when people leave. So if all of a sudden people start leaving, then you become self-conscious about what did I say wrong? What did I do wrong? Or if people come in, then you feel tempted to go back and start repeating what you've already said to catch them up. So I just, I turn all of those screens off so that I cannot see who is actually listening because that's the only way to be able to uh, focus. All right. So here we go. But if you say something in the chat, then I know you're present. So there you go. Are you ready? Put God first in your life. Man, I wish, I wonder if anyone ever really pulls that off. I wonder, I wonder. I know the evangelical world believes not only is it possible, but that we can actually do it. I just, I don't know if I've ever met a Christian that that God was actually first in their life. Well, they may have acted like it or looked like it, but I think, I think we will always be first in our life. But I, I digress. Here we go. Seek ye first the the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto us. God says, listen, I'm going to tell you something. God is wonderful. God is glorious. God is holy. God is righteous. God is wise. God knows that we'll never be what we could be until we quit looking at his hands and start looking at his face. And we love him not because of what he can give us and do for us, but because of who he is. Let me tell you something. Can, can you say something? Do you know what Karen really wants for me? Karen doesn't want me to love her uh, 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 brother because of what she can do for me or how good she can cook or how good she can kiss. He wants me to love her for who she is. And may I tell you this? That- and, and if you've been listening to the sermon, this is such an odd point in the sermon because he's, he's made it very clear. Look, you better put God first. You better put God first or he's not going to meet your needs. However, don't love him for what he gives you. Love him for who he is. But if you don't love him supremely for who he is, he's not going to meet your needs. But don't love him about what he's going to give you. But if you don't love him for who he is, he's not going to give you what you need. So you see how conflicted that becomes? Well, am I truly loving him for who he is? But if I don't love him for who he is, he's not going to meet my needs. So am I loving him for who he is so he will meet my needs? No, you're not supposed to do that. Well, okay. But if I don't do it, he won't meet my needs. <laughs> like, like God's like, you will love me. And if you don't supremely, then I'm not going to meet your needs. It's a very conditional thing. You will love me. And if you don't, I won't meet your needs. But don't love me because I meet your needs. But if you don't love me, I won't meet your needs. I don't know. It sounds, it's like, it's like telling your kid, look, you will love me supremely. If you don't, I'm kicking you out of the house. I get, I get, is that, is that the kind of the analogy? I, I don't know. I, I, I think there, I don't know. I, I, I haven't heard, received a lot of emails about a lot of this, but I, I am a somewhat conflicted with this whole 
reasoning. I'm a little bit conflicted here, but I'm willing to let him. I mean, he's not really, he, to be honest, he's not really, he's just kind of made dogmatic assertions so far, but he's not really explained how this is supposed to work in a practical way. I think so many times in preaching, we throw out theoretical concepts without explaining how those theoretical concepts are actually supposed to work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, etc. You know, when we leave the pew, how, how is it, when we get back in our car and drive home, I think, I mean, what good is a theory if nobody knows what to do with it when they get in their car to drive home? But until we love our spouses for who they are, not what we can get out of them, we're going to have marriage problems. Did you know that we need to love our kids for who they are, not how wonderful they are, not how spiritual they are, not how good they make us look? Did you know your own kids can, they pick it up whenever you're, they're wanting you to make them look, mom and daddy look good. When you must love your kids because of who they are, not because of what they can do, what they can achieve, or how good they can make you look. This is the deal about love. This is about seeking him first. And so I'm saying to you this, there's this promise of priorities. But priorities can get so slowly out of whack, we don't even know we've done it. Oftentimes, we've got God out of priority in our life. He's quit being first, and we didn't really mean to. So it, it seems, not only do you have to love God first to get your needs met, you can easily just stop, he can just easily stop being first, and you don't even realize it. You don't even realize. So it's obviously easy for this to happen. It's so it's so easy. But if you don't, there's massive consequences. All the problems in your life because you didn't put God first. Oh, and he won't meet your needs anymore. It, it, okay, so how easy is it for us not to put God first? I Well, <laughs> yeah, okay. I, I, it's, I think what he's giving us is an, a standard instead of acknowledging the impossibility of said standard and that the only way God is ever first in our life is in Christ who put the father first. But I, I don't know. I'm still waiting for him to try to give me some idea how this all works. The honest to goodness didn't mean for it to get in this kind of shape. It just kind of gradually moved until all of a sudden there's things in between us and the Lord. And God knows that and we may not have even seen it. God sees it and God's going to deal with it. God really is our Heavenly Father. He really does care. He really wants to take care of us. Uh, there was a six. <laughs> See, but it's so odd. God is your Heavenly Father, and He really, really wants to take care of you. However, if you don't put Him first, He won't. <laughs> what? God, He really wants to. He really wants to. But you, it, I'm, I, I'm. Okay, let, let's, uh, did he not We mean what he said earlier? Did I misunderstand it? Six-year-old boy in 1965, this, I want you to listen good, this is a true story. A six-year-old boy lived in a large upper northwestern city in 1965. His dad was a drunk. He lived in a sorry, low-down, broken-down part of a large city. He was around drunkenness and all the filth and life uh, uh, that you can imagine. He said, I knew what it was to step over drunk, vomit, drunks, and vomit in our home. He said, we never went to church anywhere. I didn't know God hardly existed other than some figment of somebody's imagination. But he said, as a six-year-old boy, he said, there was something I liked that most other boys liked, and that was a bicycle. And he said that five blocks from my house as a six-year-old boy in 1965, he said there was a Swin bicycle shop. How many knows what a Swin bicycle is? Cadillac bicycle down through the years, okay? 
And he said, you know, he said, I would see the ads in the paper. And he said, I'd run down to that store on Saturday morning. And he said, I'd put my nose up against that glass and look at those swim bicycles. They had them hanging from the ceiling. They had them rolled up in racks. Oh, he said, candy apple red. Oh, beautiful shine in the chrome. He said, I wanted a bicycle. He said, I'd run home. And he said, you couldn't get in that swim store as a child by yourself. You had to have a parent with you to go into that swim bicycle. Anybody know why? All right, you know why. Anyway, he said, my dad, he said, I'd say, Daddy, would you go down to the swim bicycle shop with me this Saturday morning? I just want you to see. I want to go in. He said, I got, he said, my daddy never had no time for it. Nah, son, we ain't going down there. We can't afford no bike. You ain't going to have no bike. You just will forget about that. And he said, but he said, every Saturday morning I was loose. I was down at the swim bicycle store. My nose up. And he said, I learned something. He said, when I seen another daddy come in with his little boy, he said, I could step up to the door and smell the paint and the rubber. How many here has ever wanted a bicycle really, really bad? Am I the only one? Oh, there's one. I want to tell you something right now. If you ain't lived down in Booger County and you're hauling hay for half a cent a bale and up at Western Auto, there's one of them bicycles, Daddy. Daddy, I'll tell you what, Mama take me to Mountain Grove. She'd do her shopping. Me and Steve would run down to Western Auto store down there where them bicycles was. Oh, we're going to get us a 26-incher, not one of them little sissy bikes, 24-incher. We're going to have us a 26-incher. And we said, how much is that? $35.75. How much is the tax on it? Be- <laughs> someone, said, someone said the fire is getting larger. I, I'm, I don't know exactly where this is going. I, I'm, trying to, I'm, trying, like, I'm trying to pay attention, and like, my, my, but I keep, I keep zoning out because I'm thinking, okay, so where could this go? All right, so it's about a kid who really wants a bicycle. Really? About a bicycle, 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 bicycle. I'm going to back this up for a second. I'm just going to back this up because I'm, I'm trying to follow the thought process. I'm trying, I'm trying to follow the thought process. So I'm backing this up a little bit. Let, let's, let's just let this play out before I jump in and say anything. I'm just trying to, I don't know if I can be, I don't know if I can give a prediction where I think this is going. Store, my nose up, and he said, I learned something. He said, When I seen another daddy come in with his little boy, he said, I could step up to the door and smell the paint and the rubber. How many here's ever wanted a bicycle really, really bad? So, so I don't that like what is that supposed to mean? So, when he sees a kid with an, uh, his father, he can run to the door and smell the paint and the rubber. Okay, all right. So, now I'm assuming he's going to bring this home. But I'm like, where do you take this in the in the context of the sermon? Like, wh- wh- where does this fit in with his? God wants to take care of you. God will if you put him first. Is it? Is the point is you shouldn't be at the store smelling the paint and the rubber. He should have been home putting his father first. And if he would have put his drunk father first, then his father would have given him the bike. Is that is that the thing? Uh I I I, I yeah I, I don't I don't I don't I don't know I don't know All right, let, let's see where this goes. Am I the only one? Oh, there's one. I want to tell you something right now. And if you ain't lived down in Booger County, and you hauling hay for half a cent a bale, and up at Western Auto, there's one of them bicycles, Daddy. Daddy, I'll tell you what, Mama take me to Mountain Grove. She'd do her shopping. Me and Steve would run down to Western Auto Store, down there where them bicycles was. 
Oh, we're going to get us a 26-incher, not one of them little sissy bikes, 24-incher. We're going to have us a 26-incher. And we said, how much is that? $35.75. How much is the tax on it? Be forty-one sixty-two. Oh, we're going to go back. How many bales of hay we got to haul at a half a cent a bale? And do you know what? Where there's a will, there's a way. And I got my bicycle. And the first thing I did on it, jumped on it, and I took off down the road, and I forgot. I, I, so he got his bicycle because he worked for it. But the whole the text is about the birds neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And he, what, so what happened to the other kid? The other kid who had the drunk dad. And now, now it's him. So the other kid couldn't get the bike. He got the bike because he worked for it. So the other kid should have, instead of been standing at the store, he should have been working for it. So what does that do with Matthew 6? I am so, okay, I'm trying. I guess maybe what I should do is just let this play out. But but I'm just saying this is, I guess what I'm trying to show you is that sometimes in preaching, I, I, it's a good reminder to me that sometimes when I'm preaching and I do certain things that I, that I, in my mind, it all makes sense, but it may not make sense in the minds of the people. So maybe it's a good reminder about that. Right now, I, I am completely lost here. I am completely 100% lost here. You may not be, but I am. All right, so let's do this. I'm going to open up to Spreaker. Hang on. I'm going to make sure because uh, after so many comments, then it won't show up here. So i got to make sure I got all the comments. Okay. All right. All right. Further off the rails. Yeah, I, be- I believe I believe it, it. this appears to be further off the rails. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where this is going. I don't know. But all right. If you if you think you know where it's going, let me know. Let me know. If you're like, oh, it's obvious. Come on. You don't see it. It's he, You know where he's taking this metaphor. Let's see. The first thing I did on it, jumped on it, and I took off down the road, and I forgot mom put up the barbed wire so the cows wouldn't come in and caught me on the neck, thrown me like that. My bicycle went in the ditch, and I went, I had a big gash in my neck. Bicycle experience. Bicycles are dangerous. They ought to outlaw them. (laughs) Okay, so we've gotten two bicycle metaphors. One kid has a drunk dad or an alcoholics and lived in a bad family, and he only got to the doorway of the store to smell the bike. The other metaphor is about him, and he got the bike because he was belling hay for half a cent per bell of hay. All right. But then he got on the bike, got clipped in the neck by part of a barbed wire fence, and his bike went into the ditch. Then a joke, bikes are dangerous. They should be outlawed. Okay, because that's typically a kind of a pro-gun argument that, oh, well, if we're going to outlaw guns, we should outlaw bicycles. Okay, I got it. Okay, all right. So I'm following following it so far. Now, he, this is where he's got to he's he's got to bring it home right now. Here's his opportunity. Let's see. There, you, you heard about the bicycleman, haven't you? You know, it's like the gunman is the bicycleman. But anyway. He said, I wanted that back. And he said, all of a sudden, in 1965, he said, they came out with this ad in the paper and they had this brand new series of bicycles. Okay, 1965. So I'm assuming we're going back to the first kid. The first kid who never got the bike, right? He's talked about him. Now we're going back to the kid, I guess, who never got the bike. And I guess then that kid who never got the bike when he was little. Now it's 1965. I guess we've jumped. So we had a we had two stories. Now we're back to the or so and so we went from one story to another story, back to the first story. Now, but then we've jumped in time to 1965. I don't know what year it was when he was a little kid um, at the store, at the Swin store. Okay, right, here we go. He said it had this smaller wheel and it had a banana seat on it. 
How many members of banana seed? Whoa! Somebody said heavy people could ride them. And a bicycle, and he said it had monkey bars. How many members of monkey bars? Oh, we're getting home now. And he said, and then he said it had that crank. He said it had that little fender turned up. He said, I just knew if I had one of them, every girl on the block would be wanting to ride with me on my bicycle. Ooh. And he said, again, I went to my daddy, daddy. He said, they got a new bicycle. Oh, okay. I guess, I guess the kid's still little. The kid's still little. Okay. So I guess we didn't jump in time. Okay. All right. All right. So we're st- now we're back to the original kid who went to the swing store, couldn't get in. Now it's 1965. So a year later, two, year, two years later, don't really have the time frame. Now the new bike comes out. So he goes back to his dad to tell him about, about the, the bike. All right. Here we go. All right. We're, we're, we're getting somewhere. We're getting somewhere. Okay. Here we go. Let's, what, what does this mean? And he said, that is the beatingest thing you've ever seen. It's got shock absorbers on the back, shocks on the front. He said, when you hit the potholes down through our street, it will, we'll never know it. He said, Daddy, would you come at least look at it with me, son? He said, I ain't got no time for bicycles. You don't need no bicycle. So he said, I grew up, and the only bicycle I ever had one I stole. Okay, so he never got the bike. He had to steal a bike, or he didn't have to, but he stole a bike. All right. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm thinking, so where does this go? Now, according to the sermon, the, re, the, the way the sermon has been structured, well, he didn't get it because he didn't put his dad first. If we would have put his dad first, he would have got it. Right? And, and, and the whole point of the sermon is God wants to meet your needs, but see, the bike isn't a need. So is it the point that he wanted something that wasn't a need? But it sounded like that his dad wasn't meeting his needs either because he was a drunk and obviously wouldn't take care of him and, and not, not – so, all right. I'm trying to follow. Here we go. It's, it's going to make sense. I'm going, I'm going to have hope that this is going to make sense in one minute. Here we go. He said, we got it stole back and forth. He said, it was a stolen bike. He said, you'd steal it for three months. Another guy steal it off you. You'd find it seven blocks down, you know, and you'd steal it back. And that's the way it went. This boy at 18 years of age got saved. After he got saved, the Lord called him to preach. He began to do evangelistic work. And he'd been preaching. And then he was preaching for 44 years. Now, I added up. Is that, could that be right? Could that be possible? 65 to 2,000 is how many years? 35. So around 2008, you'd have 44 years, right? He said, I was preaching, and I was wore out, drained out. And he said, the devil had really been on my back, Terry, telling me, you just wasted your life surrendering to preach. You've wore yourself out traveling everywhere. You never get to be home with nobody. And then the old devil said, God don't really care and it don't matter. And God don't care about you. And God don't care about the things you want. And he said, I, was, I went home one night after a service. And he said, I was out of it. He said, I hit the bed. He said, I was drenched in wet sweat. He said, my mind, spirit, body, and soul was drained out. I'd had it. And he said, the next night, I literally forced myself to walk into church service and preach. He said, I preached. God put up with it. He said, after the service, he said, now this is a this is long way away from where he's raised. He said, service got over. He said, this guy I never seen before in my life comes up to me. And he said, sir, 
He said, I need to talk to you outside if you don't mind. He said, I thought, good land guy wants to whoop me or something. What's he want? I don't know who this guy is. Where'd he come from? Oh, boy, I have a feeling I now I know where this is going. This is one of those. There's a classic evangelical Christian story. Uh, the Experiencing God book was filled with them. Uh, you hear these stories all the time about how these things supposedly work. I, I try not to be skeptical, but I just, here we go. I'm assuming a bike is getting ready to be handed to him a bike. So he finally got his bike and he got his bike because he put God first. So that was the thing. If he, if the little kid would have put God first sooner, but I, I, I get, I, that's where it's got to be. He's going to finally get the bike because all of those years of suffering in the ministry, putting God first, he gave his life to the ministry and then he gets his bike. It's got, that's what it's going to be. Right. But, but that, <laughs> Is a bike a need? If you put God first, you'll get your wants. Oh man, I have been wanting a MacBook Pro from Apple for a long time. The new Apple TV comes out. What? I think it may already be out or it comes out maybe on November the 10th. I don't know. Man, I want that. Let's see. What else do I want? I really would like my house paid off because that really would fix all of my... I would I would not even have a financial problem at all if I could just get my house paid off. Let's see. Man, my car, I mean, my car has like got almost 200,000 miles on it. I, 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 I kind of need a new car. That would be good. See, what else? Oh, wait, if I could just win the lottery. Well, I don't buy a lottery ticket, but that Powerball, is it still at a $1 billion? I mean, okay, now that's getting really greedy. Okay, but uh, there's still stereo equipment that I want that I, I don't have. I, I Oh, I got wants. So, so because, if, if, because a bicycle is a want, right? So is it, are we getting ready to be told he gets the bicycle because he put God first? It, it can't be going in that direction. It, it who thinks it's going in that direction? That he's, that he's going to walk outside this church because some guy he never met, I'm assuming God told, talked to him. God talked to him. So now we have extra biblical revelation. And he's going to show up and give this, and give this preacher a bicycle. What, what do you think? You think that's going to be it? Well, I, that's got to be it. I mean, how else? I mean, the way you built this story, that's where it's got to go. He's about to get the bicycle. It, it's, this, this is a beautiful, is it a beautiful story? He's going to get the bicycle he never got. Is, it, is this it? Well, okay, here we go. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Let's see. Here we go. And the guy said, no, no, no. He said, listen, I just want you to come out to my van. I, 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 he said, I feel funny about this, but he said, I'm just trying to do what God told me to do. Told you. All the evangelical stories, all the Christian stories always have, I'm doing what God told me to because God tells people to do. Isn't it amazing the things God will literally speak to people to do, right? But he, he, he'll he give someone it for, okay, I don't even want to get started. It's just, okay, all right, all right. Oh, boy, here we go, here we go, here we go. Again, um, for those who may not be new to this broadcast, I believe God speaks to us through Scripture alone. End of story. If he's speaking outside of Scripture, Scripture is by no means then the final authority. And, and, and I just, it, just, just, it just creates so many theological issues. And I just wish God would do more when he tells people to do something than like you need to park here or you need to go. You need, yeah, I don't know, maybe the cure of cancer or something. I don't know. Okay, but all right, here we go. So he said, I follow him out there to the van. The guy says, now listen, I don't want you to laugh. Don't laugh at me. He said, I'm just obeying God's all I'm doing. And he said he opened up the van door and there's a box. 
And he said, uh, he took a knife, cut that box open a little bit, and he said when he pulled that back, he said, I saw a 1965 banana seat monkey bar handle. said, just like the one I seen hanging in that store. He said, what's this about? He said, I'm from New Jersey. And he said, God told me to load this bicycle up and bring it to you. God told him to load up a bicycle and bring it to him. I mean, that's, that, that's direct revelation. That is straight up direct revelation. Clearly not in the Bible, clearly above the Bible. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. Man, of all the things, of all the things, you know how many... I'm going to look something up really quick before I say something. I'm going to look up something really quick. I'm going to look up. One second. I'm going to just look up something. Give me one second. All right. Uh, This is Missing Persons by State, 2022. Uh, In Texas, 1,246 missing people. Arizona, 915. Washington, 643. New York, 606. And I can go through every state and give you the missing persons uh, stats by state in 2022, how many people are just missing? They're gone. We don't know where they are. They're gone. Children missing, people missing for all kinds of reasons. If God's going to start telling people to load up a, a van with a bicycle, why don't he tell that uh, he, he tells him to get in his van and go find the missing children, the abducted children, the people, women who are being uh, sex trafficked. Why, 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 why not do that? But uh, he he brought a bicycle to a preacher who was worn out, broken down. But because God meets needs when you put God first, but the real needs. So I guess the problem is, is the parents who've lost their children is because they didn't put God first. I like, I, I don't even know what, like, where do, what do you do with this? He gets the bicycle. Now I, he's going to say something about God here. He's going to bring this back to God and bring it about us. Let's see what he does. And how does this fit his sermon? All right, here we go. He said, I'll tell you. No, he said, you don't tell me, tell me nothing about that bike. He said, I know that bike better than anybody. He said, I knew every detail about that bike when I was six years old. So there's nothing you can tell me about that bike. He said, what's going on? He said, God told me to give it to you. I mean, he, that's, he's literally promoting charismatic extra biblical revelation about a bike. Someone in chat said, book of bicycle, chapter two, verses three through four. I know. I mean, this is like direct revelation Get a bike, go to that specific town that because he's from New Jersey and, and go to that specific pastor at that specific church and give him a bicycle. 
Again, it sounds like it was in a sealed box, I guess. I guess completely preserved 1965 bicycle. How about one of someone starves to death every four seconds in the world? How about get in a van and take those people dying food? God gives you specific GPS directions. And then he, he's, he's getting emotional here because I, I guess it's an emotional story because the pastor got the bicycle. The pastor got the bicycle, all right? All right, let's, let's see where this is going. I, he's he's got he's to now drive. He's given us this great illustration metaphor. I, I, I still don't know how this fits with Matthew chapter 6. And his thesis of the sermon is God will take care of your needs if you put him first. I guess the pastor put God first, so he gets the bicycle. He said, how'd you come by it? Well, he said, when I was a little boy, that bike came out. And he said, my dad took me down to Swin store, and he bought two. And he said, son, this is for you to use. And he said, this other one, I want you to put it away. Someday it'll be worth a bunch of money. And he said, I've had it sitting in my garage all these years. And he said, I kept saying, this can't be real. I can't. And what he did not know was the story on the other side. And that preacher said this. He said, I took that bike home and he said, I put it in my garage and he said, I have never put my foot on the pedal. I have never sat in the seat. He said, it sits there all brand new, spanking new. And he said, every time the devil tells me that my God doesn't care about me. And he said this, if my God is big enough that before I was ever saved, are you listening? Before I was ever saved, I'm going to tell you something. God knew you before you was ever conceived in your mother's womb. God has good plans for you. He said, if my God is big enough when I'm six years old that a man in three states away can buy two bicycles, one for me and one for his boy, and save it for me in the box for 44 years just to let me know he heard my heart and that he cares about giving me things, and he cares about my life. He said, what else will God give me? What else will God do? He said, every time I wonder if God's going to take care of me, I look at that bicycle. So this all, I guess I guess they would believe in the so- clear sovereignty of God, a pre- predestination election. I'm, I'm, I guarantee they probably reject all of those doctrines. But hey, God knew the child and then made sure this child got the bike 44 years later. You really would have wished God would have brought that poor kid the bike, I don't know, when he was seven, six. I mean, it's not really, hey, he gets the bicycle 44 years later so he can just sit in a garage and not ever be used. But I guess because it's a, the spiritual lesson was more valuable than the six-year-old getting the bicycle. So the six-year-old didn't get it, but the 44-year-old man, or 44 years later, the man gets it, okay? Um, so God God cares so much about, not, not that's not even a need. God cares so much about our wants that he will provide our wants. But the whole thesis of the sermon is God meets your need when you put him first. So I'm assuming God did this because he knew the, the preacher was going to put him first. But I mean, I, if God will, if God will do all of that to ensure someone gets a bicycle, I mean, how about the people dying of, of starvation? The, 
I, I, I don't even, I can't even tell you how many children right now are in children's hospitals in this country dying of horrible childhood diseases that are terminal. I mean, instead of worrying about bicycles, let's wipe out, I don't know, horrific diseases and starvation and murder and kidnapping and rape and child molestation and child abuse. I know, I know as a pastor, you're not supposed to raise all of those kinds of questions, but any reasonable person listening to this would be asking these questions. Okay, but so the, the, the bicycle serves as a picture that God hears your heart and will give you not just what you need, but what you want. Now, the problem is, how is he going to put that back into the thesis of the sermon, which is God only does this when you put him first? I'm assuming the pastor put him first. So in other words, if you really put God first, you will get your needs and you may even get some of your wants. Now look at that bicycle. You see, things may not be in your timetable, but they are in God's timetable. They are in God's timetable. Here's what he said. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. All this other stuff will be taken care of. Implication, that pastor was seeking first the kingdom of God. Implication, if God doesn't do these things for you, you're not seeking first the kingdom of God. So if you're not getting your needs or your wants, you're not seeking God enough. Beautiful story that gets flipped around into you better do more. You better do more. You better do more. You better do more. Now, I'm hoping we get at least a three or four point plan on how we can ensure that we are seeking God enough so that I can activate this this system where I can start getting things because because I'm going to really, I'm going to double my efforts to seek God first so I can get my MacBook Pro. I can get uh, some better stereo equipment. I can possibly get a new car. Maybe I'll just get, uh, I'll check my email and someone donated via uh, our donate tab to pay off my house, which I think is a hundred thousand left. I think a hundred thousand left on my mortgage and it'll it'll all be gone. And And then I can be like, whoo, man, I'm sure glad I sought God enough. Now, they were saying, well, he's not saying that. Well, that's the whole premise of this entire sermon. But he just went from need. He just just extended it. He just extended it a little further. He went from need now to a bicycle. Girl. Appalachian Mountains. How many has ever been back on them mountains where they they plant tobacco and stuff on the side of them Crazy mountain. I mean, they go up like this, and you'll see them up there. They got a roll of tobacco up there. Way back in some of them old Carolina and Georgia mountains. This girl's raised in, in the mountains. Well, there's a boy met her. True story, okay? This boy met her. Didn't live real close to each other. They, 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 they run across each other, and he took a liking to her. He told his daddy, he said, Daddy, he said, there's just something in my heart that says I need to marry that girl. He said, I'm going to go talk to her daddy. He said, well, now, son, he said, I'm telling you about them girls up in that part of the country. He said, when you bring them out of the mountain, said they're limp because they're one leg's a little shorter than the other. <laughs> said, they've been, they been walking on the side of them hills so long. Said they, he said, now, you need to know when you bring her out of the mountain, she ain't going to walk straight. 
And he teased him about it a little bit, and the boy went up there, and he seen his daddy, and he said, I, he said, I think it'd be all right. I said, you go talk to her. So he went to talk to this girl, kind of got her off by herself out there on the back porch. And he said, well, he said, I've asked your daddy uh, that I'd like to court you, and then he said, but with the intent of marrying you. He said, I just, I'm just on being honest with you. Boy, how'd you like somebody to do that, Libby? Go like that, girl. Watch, she's going. <laughs> and she, and, but she, said, she says, I'd be honored to marry you. We've known each other for a while. We kind of know about each other's lives. We, it, this ain't no shock. It really no surprise in a way. But she said, there's something you don't know. And I'm not, I'm not letting this go any further till I get something squared away. There's a problem. And he said, well, what is it? She said, I have a physical problem. And it's this, I'll never be able to have children. And you don't know that right now, till now. And she said, There's, I'm not stupid. She says, every husband wants to have children. And she said, I'm just going to tell you now, you need to know. And you're not going to answer me today. You're going to go think and pray about this. But we'll never have our own children. And... Uh, She said, I want you to go pray about it, and then you can make your decision. Okay, now if you've been listening to our discussion about women and abuse and submission, one of the things I talked about is how we over-spiritualize this whole process. And I, So now, once again, you got to go pray and listen to what God is going to give you specific advice on who you're going to marry. Again, just throw the Bible aside. God's giving you, as some charismatic preachers I've heard, daily downloads from God. He's going to give you the download. He's going to give you the download. He's going to give you the information. He's going he's gonna, to he's gonna give you right there what what you need to know about every situation. And it's like, I don't even know why preachers study. You just, you just, okay, God, what do you want me to say to the people tomorrow? Okay. Then I just go to church and boom, I got the download last night. And here's what God wants me to tell you guys. I, I, I just, I, if we took all the stories of all the things God has supposedly told a Christian, it, we we couldn't even we would need a, a library we would need a a, gi- a library that's probably two states large just trying to get, cover all God told this person this 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 I've told the story here in Abilene Texas every once in a while I'll I'll spend some time going from church to church to church in the local area just listening to the sermons because I kind of like to get a vibe of of what's being preached in the local area. Any trends, any new buzzwords, what, what's going on, any, any doctrinal emphasis? Well, I've, I listened to two charismatic churches. One's like, God gave me a vision last night of what's coming to Abilene, Texas, and it was horrible. Economic collapse, crime, violence, destruction. I mean, it was the end of the, the city, okay? None of that ever came about. The other one was like, God's a breakthrough is going to happen here and the hospitals are going to be emptied out. People are going to raise from the dead. Revival is coming. That never happened. Two charismatic pastors making all kinds of predictions. None of them happened, but supposedly God was talking to both of them. Well, if one, God couldn't be talking to both of them. There were completely opposite messages, but I don't know. I could go from all the sermons just in the local area. God told me this. God told me this. I was driving here. God told me this. God told me, God told me, God told me. I mean, I've often joked, if I just listen to sermons just to write down what God told people, 
I don't even have time to study my Bible. I got to be studying. I, I need to be writing a new Bible. All right, chapter one, God told uh, Sarah, who lived in the mountains in North Kakalaki or wherever, Georgia, wherever they were, wherever the mountains were, okay? And uh, I get, or God's going to tell him, God, God told a person in New Jersey to deliver a bike. Like, the, we would just be writing our own Bible. It would be like every day, I've got, hey, I, 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 this would be my podcast. Listen to everything God is telling people. And then at about 11 o'clock at night, say, today God gave all the following revelations. And people say, that's ridiculous. No, it's not. If God's telling them these things, you would write it down. And how would you write it? It would be in quotation marks. So if God is telling people these things and those are the words he said, that is, that's, that's, that's inspiration. That's, that's uh, an inspiration through the process of dictation. But no, it's just, okay. All right. Okay. So what's going to happen? So she can't have children. I think we know where this is going. All right. And then uh, I guess God's going to tell him to marry her anyway. They're going to get married and boom, she's going to have children. So, hey, ladies, if you can't have a child, if you would put God first, whatever your medical condition was, God can overcome it and you can have children. I, I bet you this is where this is going at this point. Maybe I'm wrong. Let's see if this is where it's going. He went back home and spent two or three days, went to his dad, told him about it. He said, son, that's between you and the Lord. Can't answer that for you. Came back to the dad and said, Dad, I just feel in my heart that's who God wants me to marry. In fact, if it is, he said, Daddy, he said, God really dealt with me. That I need to marry her because of who she is, not what she can give me. God's taught me something about love in the middle of this thing. That's not what somebody can do for me, but who she is. Okay, so he's returned back to that theme. All right, so maybe she's not going to end up with children. Maybe, maybe. I, I still think that's where the story is going. All right, so I got to still keep this straight. So God will meet your need if you put God first. If you don't put God first, he won't meet your needs and you'll get problems in your life, right? But, but you're not to love God because of what, that he will meet your needs or keep the problems from you. You're to love God just because who God is. So love God for who he is. So in other words, you got to, to put God first, you have to love him, but you got to love him the right reason. Now you can make that reason. Well, if I don't love him, he won't meet my needs. So I, I got to love him for the right reason. And I can't take into fact, I can't take it into account that if I don't love him and put him first, that these other bad things will happen. So, so there's no, like, there's no pressure to put God first. Just remember, if you don't, your needs are not going to be met. and You're going to have problems. But if you do put God first, you may get a bicycle 44 years later. I, 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 is that how? <laughs> All right. Let's see what's going to happen here. How much? What do you think? What do you think? <laughs> well, I'm going to say it. I don't obviously mean it. But if we were, if we were taking bets, do you, do you think she's going to end up having children? And it's going to be, ultimately, it's going to be a story of two individuals who put God first, and then God gives them the children. The way to un overcome infertility is to put God first. I'm assuming the way to overcome cancer is to put God first. I guess the way to overcome a seizure disorder is to put God first. I, 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 I okay, all right. I don't know. Let's see. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe she's never going to have children, and uh, that's not where the story is going. Maybe I'm wrong. Let's see. So he went back and he told her, he said, uh, I've prayed about it. I've sought the Lord and I believe God wants us to be married. If you'll marry me, she said, I'd, I'd love to marry you. And they got married. 
And she, they, said, they said to themselves, we're not going to worry about this no kids deal. We're not going to let that bother us. But it did. And where they went to church, she got to where that every time there's a new baby at church, her heart would grieve and hurt. She got to where all she wanted to do was go hold somebody's baby for them while they went. And she, just, and she found herself just constantly, constantly being drawn to babies. And finally she went to the pastor and she said, I want the church to pray for me that I'll be able to have a baby. And Oh, she just got, and she got all fretted about it. Oh, and she began to pray and plead with God. God, give me a baby. God, give me a baby. God, give me a baby and so forth and on and on. And she went on and, you know, God never did give a baby. But one day she came into church and she said, I need to say something. And she told the pastor and some of the people, she said, I want to ask you to forgive me for my fretting against God's will for my life. She said, God has shown me that I need to love him and serve him if I never have a baby. And I need to quit blaming the Lord about what, whatever's in the past of my life. And she, and she literally gave that thing entirely to the Lord and started serving the Lord and, with no strings attached. Lord, I'm just going to put you first. And you don't have to give me a baby. I, I, if you're not careful, you know what you're doing? You're doing things for God with a little bit of a... Mm, God, did you notice I did this and you... But that's kind of the whole premise of your sermon. You put God first, he'll meet your need. You put God first, you won't have problems in your life. But then you turn around and say, but d- 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 don't do it for that reason. But if you don't do it, you get the negative consequences. So because you get the negative consequences, if you don't do it, then you can't tell me it's not a motivation to do it to avoid the negative consequences. Hey, children, clean up your room. If you don't clean up your room, you get spanked. Man, look at those kids cleaning up their room because they love me and they're putting me. No, they're doing it because I don't want to get spanked, right? Hey, you put me first or I won't meet your needs. There's going to be problems in your life. Hey, 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 but don't put me first just because you want your needs met and just because you don't want problems in your life. Okay, so is she going to end up with kids? Is she going to end up with kids? You kind of ought to do this. And she let it all go. And I'll end this quick. A year and a half later, they had a baby. Told you. I told you that's where it was going. So the moral of the story, put God first and he can overcome infertility. I wonder how many soldiers... I was in the military, medical. I wonder how many soldiers came back from Afghanistan or Iraq missing arms or legs, saw plenty of it, or severe PTSD, massive other injuries. I wonder if they could just overcome those things if they put God first. I wonder if a leg would grow back. I wonder if an arm would grow back. Oh, yeah. I've never seen charismatics pull that off, and I've never seen these kind of stories address that. But infertility, boom, that can be overcome by putting God first. That bicycle that you wanted, you can get it if you put God first. But hey, 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 don't do it for those reasons. But if you do it, you get the bicycle and you get the child. True story. I'm saying this to you start putting God first. You start putting God first. This week, a businessman talked to me. 
He said, Reggie, he said, uh, I was going. Honestly, I think this entire sermon is stories. And I don't think we've, uh, he's not dealt with one of the issues in this text. He's not dealt with one problem in this text. And, uh, and he, uh, how, how do I, how do I, how do I end up in these situations? I got to blame someone. I'm going to, I'm going to blame one of my listeners. That I'm gonna, the, okay. This is the facts. I did not choose this sermon. Someone sent it to me. Someone, someone, someone posted it in Discord. So it's one of the people in Discord. They posted this. It's probably that person from Indiana who suggested all the youth sermons. That's who did it. That's who did. I did not pick this, right? It was, it was placed upon me as a burden. All right. Because they, okay. Not, not, because now I got to find some way to laugh because this is, this is just, all right. All right. Here we go. We're, we're coming into the dramatic conclusion. Going along, he said I was going to church, and he said uh, he said there was a man in our church who uh, began to buy stuff at my. No, 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 no! It was you. That's who I'm blaming. I'm blaming Heather from Indiana. She is the cause of all of this. She, every bad sermon is her fault. Just someone write that down. It is now a fact. I am suffering mental anguish, emotional distress. Because of one listener who gives me these, what, what? I don't even know what to do with this sermon anymore, right? Just know all of your problems. Now, this is what I'm going to do next. This is, this is going to be my new biblical counseling method. When you email me going, I'm having this problem and this problem, this problem, I'm just going to, I'm just going to send you an email back that says, put God first. Boom. That's it. The PGF method, put God first. Hey, my marriage is falling apart. Put God first and it'll get fixed. Hey, my kids hate me. Put God first. Hey, I, I, I've been diagnosed with cancer. Put God first. That, that seems to be, the, the, I, I don't even know what else to do with this sermon. I mean, if it can overcome infertility and it can give you a bike 44 years later, what can it not do? business place and he said he charged and he charged and he charged and he charged some more and he charged some more and he charged some more and he said the first thing you know, the bill got huge. And he said we went to church together every Sunday. And he said, then he got to where he wouldn't hardly talk to me. And he said, next thing you know, said he's bellied up and went out of business. And he said, my wife and I are hung with many, many thousands and thousands of dollars worth of bills. And he said, Reggie about destroyed me. He said, I thought about it day and night. He said, you couldn't go to church without thinking about it. You couldn't pray without thinking about it. You could not read your Bible without thinking about it. And he said, one day, and he told me the place. I know where it's at. Right down by your place, Ben. He said, I pulled up near your son's fence down there. And he said, one day, and he said, I'd had enough of it. And I throwed up my hands there, and I said, God, everything I own belongs to you. I'm not going to worry about this anymore, Lord. I'm going to focus on putting you first in my life. I'm going to give that bill to you if it breaks us. And everything we own and everything we are belongs to you, Lord. And he said, Reggie, I literally throw my hands up in the air. And he said, when I gave that all to God, and said, Lord, all I want to do is just put you first in my life. You said if I'd put you first, you'd take care of our needs and make, make sure we had food on the table. And he said, Reggie, God released me from that when I put him first. He said for a long time, that bill was first. That money was first. I try to close this out. In the early 1900s, there was a young man, 18 years, 18 years old. 
Okay, he didn't finish that. So I guess in that case, the guy put God first, but he was still stuck with all the bills. So I guess this doesn't always work, right? And in the other cases, they put God first and got it. In this case, the guy was left with thousands and thousands of dollars of bills, and I guess he put God first and he never got the money or did, or am I supposed to uh, just assume that the money is on its way? Someone said, uh, I think I posted it. I said there was a high chance it would induce seizures. No, okay. All right, I'm going to full, full transparency. This is the way this sermon was chosen, just in case someone doesn't know. I was sitting in front of Walmart to pick up my grocery order that was supposed to have been delivered, but everything went wrong because everything has gone wrong, okay? So I'm sitting in front of Walmart, and I keep calling that number, and no one will pick up, no one will pick up, no one will pick up, and I'm just like, what in the world? So I, 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 I'm holding my phone and I'm like, okay, what do I, I don't, I know what I'll do since I don't know what to do here. I'm going to wait for someone to walk out or I, or I go into the store. I don't know. I said, I'll open up the sermons 2.0 app. And I just swiped down and then boom, it said staff picks. Like th- those who work for sermon audio, the sermons that they picked. And this was the first one put God first. So I hit play Boom, heard it was on the Sermon on the Mount, hit stop and said, we'll do a sermon review. So the reality is it's my fault, but that's not near as fun as blaming other people. It's never, I mean, come on, if you've learned anything, you never never blame yourself. You always blame others, right? We're Christians. That's okay. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. All right. So yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't anybody in the Discord channel. I mean, I, I'm in the Discord channel, so I guess it was me. But all right, here we go. That's how it happened. I blame Walmart and their slow. Well, it was it was supposed to be delivery. They're slow pickup people. That 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 they they caused me to look for a sermon. I started doing some things. By the time he was 22 years old, he was one of the richest young men in America. Single, he had several stores. 22 years old. He actually was a millionaire in the early uh, 20s there when he's 22 years old. By the age of 24, he had married. They had children. He had unbelievable wealth, unbelievable wealth as a 24-year-old young man married with children. It looked like his life was just blooming and blossoming. They went ahead continued to increase their wealth and their possessions. In 1929, he'd gotten so wealthy, he began to speculate on a lot of things, and he bought 120,000 acres down in Florida speculating on land. The no, October 1929, the crash came, and the dominoes fell faster than he could run out from underneath them, and he lost everything. In the process of it, in his loss of all this stuff and wealth and houses, he had cattle. He had, he actually was the, his work. Some of you, I'll disclose who it is when I say this. He was the start of the person who started foremost dairy products. And he lost his cattle, he lost his land, he lost his stores, he lost everything, and he began to lose his health. And his wife left him and, her ch- and his son and his children. A friend recommended that he became suicidal, and a friend recommended that he check himself in to a sanitarium, which is a nice word of saying back in those days of an insane asylum in Battle Creek, Michigan. They had him in an eight-by-eight eight room and a cot, that's all he had. On a Sunday morning, he was sitting on that cot in his eight-by-eight room. And that door was open and a preacher walked in. And he looked down at him and he said, Sir, 
He said, we're getting ready to have service right down the hall. Would you care to come down to services? The man looked at him and said, I don't need God, and I want you to get away from me and close the door when you go out. But the preacher didn't close the door when he left out. And in a few moments, the people began to sing at the little service down there in the meeting area. And they began to sing a song. Be not dismayed, whate'er betide, God will take care of you. Beneath his wings of love abide, God will take care of you. God will take care of you through every day or all. Only if you put him first, okay? <laughs> right? God will take care of you because the whole point of this sermon, only, 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 only if you put him first, because if you don't, he won't meet your needs. Like, did I have a, have, did I hit my head too many times and, and miss the whole point of this sermon? Remember, that's, that's one of the things I try to always do. I, I, I look. I don't know what, I don't even know if there can be a spiritual lesson taken from any of this because we've so, we left the Bible like eight hours ago. It's just been one story after another story after another story after another story. Obviously, there's no burden of proof for him to prove any of these stories. He's not even naming people where, I mean, like, I guess in this story, he may name the person. I don't know. But the whole thesis, so I guess I will do this. I guess in preaching, when you listen to a sermon, you want to find what is the thesis? What, what is the point of the sermon? Now, sometimes I'm horrible at doing that, but you're supposed to kind of give your thesis statement some point in the sermon. Sometimes my thesis statement is, okay, here, here's the situation, guys. Here's the text. We're going to be spending the next hour trying to figure it out. So what is my thesis? I don't have a thesis. But my thesis. Now, sometimes what I'll do is as we're trying to figure it out, I will say my thesis or my hypothesis is this, and then we'll try to figure it out from there. But if, if, if I understood his thesis right, God will care for you only if you do your part. And your part is, your part is a doozy. You have to put him absolutely 100% first. Any deviation from that, boom, he's not going to take care of you. Like by the time this sermon was over, I'd be like, well, then, well, hey, God, hey, 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 we're headed home. Don't worry about it. Look, God's not going to take care of us because I'm never going to put him first. I don't think anybody in this car is going to put him first. So here's what we're going to do, guys. We no longer rely on God. We have to rely on ourselves because I don't think we're ever going to put God first because you've got a sinful nature. You've got a sinful nature. You've got a sinful nature. The one driving the car has a sinful nature. So we're all going to fall short. We can't count on God because we don't put God first. So what did you learn kids today in church? Don't count on God. <laughs> that, that, that would be, that would be that, that, yeah, I probably wouldn't go over well, but I mean, but in some way he's turning this into, oh, see, see how much God cares for you? Because look what he did. That, that, that poor preacher got the bike and the woman who, who was infertile because of a medical condition, she was able to have a child. See, see, because they put God first, he, he will care for you, but, but he's not driving home the point on the condition that they put God first. He, he's not, the whole key to this sermon is, how do I put God first 
when I have a sinful nature that constantly wants to exalt myself above God and loves the world, loves the things of the world. So therefore, I'm constantly putting everything before God. The way he will take care of you. God will take care of you. And it made you think of his father and his mother who tried to teach him the ways of the Lord when he was a boy. And all of a sudden he realized that he had let God, he'd let all of his wealth and his money and all of his ambitions get between him and the Lord and he fell down. And this is his own testimony. He said, I slid off the side of that cart and got on my knees and asked God to forgive me for making idols out of my wealth and idols out of my possession. And he said, God, from this day forward, I will put Jesus Christ first in my life. He was converted there, got baptized a few days later. He was broke as a fiddle, and his wife wasn't divorced from him, but she was away. He said, Lord, I'm going to start again, but I'm going to put Jesus Christ first. You know him as James Cash Penny. And he started again, and I'm going to give you a little secret that most people don't know, but James Cash Penny gave 75% of his profits to the work of the Lord. When his son asked him when he was on his deathbed, Daddy, are you doing okay? Everything all right? He said, Son, only one thing I'm not happy about. James Cash Penny said this to his son, Son, if I had to do over, I'd put him more first and I'd give more than than I gave. For the only thing I've ever done that's worth anything is putting Jesus Christ first in my life. I'm saying this to you today. I'll give you just a couple of things about James Cashpenny. He was a Freemason most of his adult life. Um, see here. So just if you didn't know that. Um, so because some people would say that's not consistent with Christianity. Um I see. I don't, I don't, I'm not seeing the story here about that. Okay. Uh, but he was a Freemason. Okay. So he, he, uh, he, he did, it, this is true. According to the story, he did take, it was Battle Creek Sanitarium. And he heard the hymn, God will take care of you. And he became a born again Christian. He relinquished daily operating managements of the company. You see, um, I don't see anything here about giving 75% of his uh, profits away. I'm not seeing anything about that. Just know that he was a Freemason and he wore a large ring showing his uh, Masonic degree. Again, some people think uh, that would be completely contrary to Christianity. I'm never, I'll never forget when I was a brand new Christian, we went down to the Abilene Public Library with my pastor. I don't even know why we were down there. And right across the street, there was like a, a Freemason place, a Messianic Lodge. And I asked about it and I was like, oh, that's like a cult. And that's like, and I'm like, wait, what? So, um, so there you have it. I, I don't know if he gave 75%. I just think it's interesting to note that he was a Freemason. So you can, 
You can draw your own conclusions about that. Your Bible example. Now you listen to me good. Some of you's got money in the bank. Everything's good. You've got work laid out. Everything's rosy. You don't really need God. You don't need to. But the, the moral of that story, if you don't know, James Cash Penny, uh, by the time he dies, is worth like $30 million, $40 million, $50 million, some crazy number. So he, uh, he obviously, he becomes filthy rich. So again, the moral of the story, you'll lose everything, then get saved, put God first, and you'll get, uh, you'll get. So why doesn't everyone who put God first gets $30 million? Because once again, see, he's giving stories that go beyond a need. Does a woman need a baby? She wants a baby, right? She doesn't need, so she, does you, do you need a bicycle? So no, so all the stories he's telling, if you put God first, you get beyond your needs. Does this not just ring a little bit like the prosperity gospel? Am I, am I missing something? Does it, does it not feel like the prosperity gospel, like in a kind of a more modified, non-charismatic kind of way? Am I missing something? Put God first. I'm going to tell you something's going to happen to you. Some, I'm going to tell you what it means to put God first. It means you're going to be in church. It means you're going to do what God wants you to do. You're going to put God first in your business. If you put God first, that means church. And you're going to do what God wants you to do. God wants you to be holy. So to put God first would require you to do be holy. But you're never going to be why do we always say to, to put God first means you'll do what he tells you to do. And I can give you scripture. Love the Lord that God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself and be holy as he is holy. That's my three scripture tests constantly repeated on this podcast. Those are, those are things he tells you to do. You won't do them. But then we say, how do you know you put God first? He, you do what he tells you. Are you saying not what he tells me in scripture, but what he tells me in that still small voice? You're going to put God in your life. I'm saying this. There's a man in the Old Testament who got in this trap. His name is Achan. Now listen to this carefully. There's a great lesson here. In the book of Joshua, they, they were going in to conquer Jericho. God said, don't you take of their gold, their silver, their Babylonian garment. Don't you take any of that stuff. He said, it's cursed. Are you listening to me? Achan went in there. You know the story. He took a Babylonian garment. He took a wedge of gold and silver, put it in his tent and hid it and covered it up. When you hear a pastor snapping his finger, hey, you're listening to me? You can tell that somewhere in all of those stories, he felt like he lost the people. He felt like he, he felt like he, like, like he either was worried they had gone too long, or you can just start seeing the looks of the people that you lost them. They probably had already put their Bibles down, notebooks down, because he's just telling stories. If they were, if they even have those. So I just, I, when I sometimes hear things as from a preaching perspective, that, that's usually a sign that you feel like you've lost everyone. Oh, and that's a horrible feeling to be at the end of the sermon, feel like you've lost everybody. The next battle they went to fight, they got 36 men were killed. You had 36 widows and, and their orphans because a man didn't put God first in his life in a congregation. Joshua pulled him out. And here's the sad part about it is, you know, the story, he got the confession out of him, took he and his wife and his family and everything they owned down the Valley of Acor, which is the Valley of Trouble, stoned them with stones, burned them with fire, and he lost everything. Here's the sad part. If he would have waited one more chapter, if he would have just put God first, did you know the next town that they were to take, God said you can have all the gold and the silver and the spoil of that town. We lose because we do not put God first. But if you put God first, you get all the gold and silver. And how do you put God first? 
You just got to do everything he tells you to do. So if you pull it, hey, if you can put God first by doing everything he tells you to do, you have to do that perpetually. You got to do it consistently. Well, then (laughs) boom, you hit the lottery, baby. Man's mother said, she told him, she said, I'm having problems. Took his wife, took his mother down to a place to get an MRI. He's standing there. Mama's in the MRI deal. He's standing there with his friend. It's his doctor. And the MRI goes across her chest. He said, there's a spot there about the size of a golf ball. He says, you know what that means. He said, your mama has carcinoma cancer. He said, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. He said, it's going to go, he said, it's going to go into her breast. It's going to go into her lungs and it's going to work its way to her backbone and says she's not going to live over six months. And he said, within three months, she'll be begging somebody to let her die. He said, I'm not going to joke you about this. The man said, I don't want you to tell mama nothing today. Took her mama home. The man was an evangelist. And he said, I wanted to stay with my mama. And he said, I was making plans to get off the road and stay with my mama. He said, I didn't have peace about it. And he said, I wrestled with God. And he said, the only verse that God would bring to my mind is seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. He said, the hardest day of my life is when I packed my suitcase, put it in the trunk of my car and took off to a meeting. He said, I got down at the end of the driveway and he said, I stopped and throwed my head across the steering wheel. He said, I wept like I never wept since I was a kid. God, I don't want to leave my mama. She needs me. It's like God said, you don't worry about your mama. I'll take care of mama. You take care of my business. Hey, hey, your mom's got cancer, but you put me first. You go, you go, you go preach because I, I, there can't, there can't be anybody else who can, who can take care of it for you. All right. So I'm, 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 I'm going to be curious how this story is going to end. He said, that's nine years ago. I've never told her what that man told me. Oh my. All right. So if you put God first, you can overcome cancer in someone else's life. Hey, to all of my listeners, if y'all would put God first, I wouldn't have seizures. If y'all put God first, my daughter wouldn't have a connective tissue disorder that causes nothing but pain and problems. Now, you could email me and say, yeah, but if you would put God first, I wouldn't have the problems in my life. So if your mom gets cancer, that's what I did wrong. See, when my mom had the aneurysm, uh, if I would have put her first, she would have walked out of the hospital with me. But I didn't put God first and she died. Hmm. That's that. Man, man. I was, I was a failure as a teenage Christian or my mom, when my dad got cancer, if I would have put, he would be a, oh, he died too. If I would, so I lost two parents because I didn't put God first. I mean, that's what you're claiming. 
He never even gave the woman her diagnosis. You talk about what what kind of hospital gives the diagnosis to a family member, but not to the patient. I would like to get the name of that hospital and doctor and like, hey, I think you may want to give your the diagnosis to the actual patient. The patient never found out. They never called the patient for follow up. They never did. Like what kind of medical what? What kind of mess up is that? See, this is why I call into question the stories I hear from pulpits. You're telling me the hospital gave a di- the diagnosis to the son, not to the patient, and then never followed up with the patient who had supposedly terminal cancer for the, for, uh, for crying out loud. They're just like, well, the MRI said she had terminal cancer. Never mind. We're not going to worry about her because we told the son. She never got the diagnosis. I, I, okay, all right. I've never told her what that man told me. He said, I'm just dumb enough to believe that whenever I put God first, he said, I'll take care of mama. Man, you put God first, you can literally save someone from cancer. So if all the Christians in the world would put God first, we could save the whole world from cancer. We could save the whole world from starvation. We could save the whole world from hurricanes and from floods and from. I'm saying this to you. Oh, what we miss when we don't put God first. Yeah, you think so. Yeah, you don't put God first, you miss a lot. Like your mom, you, your mom walking out of the hospital with you. You end up at the graveside saying goodbye to your mother, and then you stand at a graveside saying goodbye to your father. Yeah, yeah. It it's really it stinks when you don't put God first because family members die. I want to be honest with you this morning. Listen to me. I'm going to be gone for a week. I love you. I'll be praying for you. I'll be back next Sunday morning, probably so wild like a wild man, monkey hanging off a tree preaching. All right, but I'm going to be gone, going to leave this afternoon. But if I was to never come back, here's what I'd like to tell you. Put Jesus first. Ezra, put him first. Make him first. The devil and the world and the flesh will tell you. Put him first. You're giving them the impossible. We can't put him first. Oh, you're going to have to miss church. This is more important. I say put him first. The devil's going to say, well, you're going to have to work on Sunday. I say put him first. Yeah, that would have went over well. (laughs) Hey, guys, I know I work in a hospital, but I can't work on Sundays. Have to put God first. So if you schedule me for a Sunday, just want you to know I won't be here. Now I know I'm in the military, so that will make me absent without leave, and you'll probably show up my house with guns. But hey, that's okay. I, I you know, I, I got to put God first. Let the hay burn. Put Him first. You say, well, I got to go. I got this job, and I've got to, I've got to miss church, and I, I, and I won't be able to. Serve the Lord, I say put him first. I'm too busy to get there on Sunday nights or Wednesday night. I'm telling you, put him first. You say, man, I had to compromise. 
Isn't it interesting that the way you put God first is showing up to church? You see, this, this becomes the whole external behavioral modification. The way you put God first is by what you do externally. This doesn't even deal with the fact that you may not put God. What if you show up to church in every service, but God is not first in your heart? Oh, oh, you don't think that could happen? Oh, I bet you could. Because the Pharisees and the Sadducees did lots of things externally. But wouldn't it something about they profess, they say things with their lips, but their hearts are far from me? I don't think the Pharisees and Sadducees had a habit of missing synagogue. I don't think the Pharisees or Sadducees had a habit of breaking the Sabbath. I had to compromise my convictions to get that job. I had to compromise my convictions to get that work. I say put him first. If you lose the job, don't compromise. Love when churches say that. You lose the job, but we're not going to be there to pay your bills or to help you out. But you lose that job. God will provide you another job because you put God. So we don't have to help you because God's going to take care of you. See, most likely if you give up that job, you'll end up, I don't know, $20 million. You know, you'll be, you'll be set. And then if you get cancer, it'll, well, it's going to go away. And if you can't have a child, well, and if you're missing a bicycle, you'll get it. You say, I had to cheat and I had to lie in order to save the money. I say, put him first. I had to be dishonest. Or I had to be immoral. To get their affection, I say put him first. When we mature to where we love him for who he is, not for what we can get out of him, we'll be getting somewhere. The Bible's greatest example of this in the Old Testament was Abraham. When God told Abraham, take thy son, thine only son Isaac, and offer him. And I'm going to tell you what God said about Abraham after he offered. He said, now I know. Now I know. I'm telling you something. Listen. But there's a man by the name of Eli who put his sons, the Bible said he honored his sons above the Lord, and he lost them. Eli had his priorities mixed up. All right, so don't, don't put your kids before God or they may die. But Abraham had his priority. Let us love our God supremely. Let us love each other too. And let us love and pray for sinners till our God makes all things new. I'm going to ask you a question this morning right now. Is God first in your life? Oh man, that's the, that's the best question to ask for an altar call because everyone's got to say no. Is he truly first in your life? Is he truly first in your life? The shame of life is not what we're happening to us. It's what we're, what's happening. We miss that God's not first in our life. I want to encourage you today. Put him first. I wished I'd have done better, Brother Phil. But to the degree that I've put God first in my life, God has always wrote a good last chapter. Let's stand together. There you have it. Put God first in your life. You can find that on the Sermons 2.0 app. It may still be under staff picks. If you need to go back and listen to that one more time to understand, I, I don't even know what we do with that. Well, what, what does that show? The influence of the prosperity gospel? Does that, is that, is that basically like a, a modified version of the prosperity gospel? You can email me newsif at yahoo.com. 
newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Should we seek first the kingdom of God? Yes, we should. Do we want to put God first? I hope we do. Here's the reality of it. You're going to fall short of both of those things. You're going to end up putting yourself first and seeking yourself first. Okay, so yeah, it definitely seems like health and wealth. I agree. Um, We're going to fall short of all of that. But Christ sought first the kingdom of God. Christ put the will of the Father first. Christ did those things. In him, I do those things. So in that, the imputed righteousness takes care of it. I wish I could seek God better. I wish I could make him first more, but it's always going to be inconsistent. It's always going to be corrupted in some way, shape, or form. Because in many cases, we put him first simply because of the benefits we gain from it. We we, we, we are, we are self-seeking. Look, I've talked about it so many times. It is so common. And you may not believe this, but it's it's true in marriages all across the United States of America inside every church. We love people for what we get from it. Not simply because we love someone. Love is a very self-seeking proposition in most cases, even inside churches. I don't care what people say. You love them because of what they give you, what you gain from it. Security, comfort, affection. If those things are taken from you, marriages usually fall apart. It's true. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. I don't know what else to say other than, wow. Someone started off in the comments <laughs> that the fire is getting larger. Uh, yeah, this thing, this thing went nuclear. This thing just went like a complete total nuclear meltdown of everything. And just realize you didn't learn anything about Matthew chapter six. You got a sermon. You did not get the text. This is what I've been talking about a lot lately. Someone in church Sunday asked me the question uh, in regards to this, and I tried to explain it. I don't know if I explained it well. This is the example. That's a sermon. We didn't learn anything about Matthew 6. I still don't know how to handle the text properly because it wasn't about the text. It's about an idea that got in the way of the text. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great night. God bless.